all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? That's all I got tonight. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. So much excitement in the air. So much excitement. Rachel's kind of exhausted tonight. <laughs> it's been a long day. She's so exhausted, she's re- referring to herself in the third person. Yes. <laughs> and she has specks of paint on her forehead. I do. On my arms, too. You didn't even see here. My arms. Oh, and the cats are playing. Of course they are. See? Yeah. All up and down my arms. Yes. And, oh, and on my socks, look. Oh. Yeah. I was painting in case nobody could guess. My new office, yay. Yay. Yes. Very happy about that. So we're back in the old studio. Yes. <laughs> which the, is our the, spare room. The new old studio. Mm-hmm. As it were. Yes, and hopefully it's not totally echoey. Crazy echoey, but uh, at least we have a, a space we'll, that's not our bedroom. We'll find out in the edit tomorrow. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> um, I don't have anything specific for housekeeping other than rate, review, subscribe. Prescribe. Prescribe. <laughs> rate, review, prescribe <laughs> to all of our social media, which is at All Bad Things Pod. Yes. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Insta, Facebook. And at gmail.com and dot com. <laughs> that made sense, right? Yes, it did. Shout out to all our usual people. You know who you are. <laughs> Sorry. I'll get more enthused as we go, I hope. She'll get more enthused as the death toll mounts. <laughs> That's terrible, but yes. yeah, probably. <laughs> mm. So, well, another uh-huh. plug. Yes, I am drinking burial. One of my favorites out of Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, David got this for me. It was very sweet. The Coco Bolo Brown. Yes. Which is delicious. And, and we're going to be going to Burial when we go to Asheville yes, next we'll month. Yes, we'll be there. We'll be there in four weeks. Oh, that's going to be so nice. Yes, it'll be fun. So we're going to keep plugging away at Burial and hopefully when we show up. <laughs> yes, yes, they'll know who we are. Maybe, maybe we'll get a free pint out maybe. of Maybe. That works for me. Yeah. What are you drinking? I am having uh, Birdsong's Jalapeno Pale Ale, mm-hmm. which I'm not a big pale ale fan, but mm-hmm. lately, the past couple of years, for some reason, I've been really digging jalapenos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have. So a jalapeno pale ale, uh-huh. I think I've plugged that on yes. this before. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you talked about when you... Um, <laughs> do not... Yeah, don't just drink do the bottom. Do not slam yeah. like the last tenth of the beer. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> All the jalapeno just settles. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So shall we get into it? We shall. Just right to it. I mean, we've been talking for like four minutes, but you know, for us, that's right to it. <laughs> that's just before inane banter. Yes. Yeah. Just marginally just before. before. All right. So there is a shout out to one of our listeners as I get into this, but th- that'll come. I'd like to go ahead and do the intro first. 
So I didn't give you many hints on this one. I said it was a new type of disaster, a new specific yes. type of disaster. And, and in a new place. A new place, not a new country, but a new place, specifically a new state oh, for us, okay. I believe. I don't think we've done this one. Anyway, this is the story of the Texas City oil refinery explosion. Wow. Okay, that's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. And I don't... Th- we covered a bit of Texas with... Um, oh, the Dust Bowl. Yes. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. So it was sort of included. In yeah. That. That's true. But that's true. we also covered 27 different states in that story. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it affected most of the United... So, or half of the United States. It yeah. wasn't completely focused on Texas, but right. obviously this story is going to be. Yes. Yes, it is. So on March 23rd, 2005... The BP Texas City Oil Refinery in Texas City, Texas, exploded, killing 15 employees and injuring more than 180 people. I I like the low death death toll. Yeah, like relatively, right? I mean, nothing good is going to happen when an oil refinery refinery explodes. explodes. Yes, that sounds like a minimally like a thousand people. Right, just just the volume you would figure, yeah. right? So yeah. fifteen, I, I God, God, God rest their souls. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'll take fifteen over a thousand. Sure, that's, that's what I immediately thought. Right, right. So two thousand five, I, 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 I don't, don't remember this. this either. No, yeah, me neither. And I mean that this is only thir- almost exactly thirteen years ago because mm-hmm. March twenty third. So, all right, so. Texas City, Texas is on the Gulf Coast of Texas, just outside of Galveston, and about 45 minutes southeast of Houston. So it's in that area. Now, now I will give credit to our listener, Quincy, who's been awesome and engaging with us for this subject. Our, our, our newest fan. Yes. For this subject. Thank you, yes. Thank you, Quincy. For the, so Texas City is his hometown, and he said, you should cover, like, this major disaster from my hometown that almost wiped the town off the face of the map. Now, he, I don't believe he was talking about this disaster, because, unfortunately... Well, fortunately, it's only 15 people. Yeah, but unfortunately for Texas City, in 1947, something else happened that was way worse, that almost, like, wiped okay. the city off the, the base of the earth. Um... And, and was a very well-known disaster that we'll cover in a future episode. I didn't look that deep into it because this was the first one I found when I Googled, oh, Texas City disaster. I think because it was more recent. Sure. Um, and the other one happened in 1947. Yes. So, so it happened longer ago. There now, are, highly the records dramatic. on that are probably, if it almost wiped out the entire town, the records on it are probably like... Well, in all in all fairness, um, part of the reason I chose this one was because the Wikipedia article was nice and long, so I knew I could do it very Thank you, Wikipedia. Quick, yes. But... I will I, send you that $3 you've been begging me to send you. Right? Yeah. All right, Jimmy Wales. <laughs> Finally. Send it. But... Um, but I didn't just use Wikipedia for this one. I, I went over several oh. sources. I know. Did you go to history.com? No, but Popular Mechanics comes into play. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And the CSB, which we'll discuss. So I don't even know what that is. Okay, neither I'm, did I until this. So thank you, Quincy. We'll get to that 1947 disaster, too. Your hometown's going to get two episodes. 
So this is the first one. Your hometown's got a couple. Yes. This is the one we chose. Yes. And for being not like a city that you would recognize the name of, that's pretty dramatic, you know. So um, as for Texas City, Texas, as of 2010, it had a population of about 45,000 people. And it's considered part of the greater Houston metro area. Sure. So Part of the sprawl. Yes. Now, because Texas City is on the Gulf Coast in Texas, what do you think they're known for? <laughs> I'm going to guess a hurricane here or there. Okay, but like what else? Like what about industry? <laughs> That's not what I was oh, looking for. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Oil. <laughs> yes. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I thought you were going with the environmental part. <laughs> no. Because remember, this is a refinery explosion. True. Yeah. So, yes, oil drilling and oil refining is what it's known for. So, um, it's been known for that for quite some time, obviously. And this particular refinery was built way back in 1934. Okay. So, I had a hard time... So, the uh, early boom era. I don't know when drilling became like... I imagine when cars were really starting to... Like the 1910s. Okay. Is that the, we had a gusher sort of era? Pretty much. Yeah. Black, or uh, black, black gold, black gold, Texas tea, mm-hmm. as the Beverly Hillbilly said, right? Um, so I had a hard time digging up the complete history of this particular plant. Um, so I'm not sure how many hands it switched over the years, but by 1999, it was owned by Amico. Do you remember Amico? I do. And do you double A M C O? And and do you know that they've now like do you have you when was the last time you saw an Amico station? Like if you think about it. It's been a while. Because you can picture, like, yes, the little but I remember, I remember, their, remember their ads on radio and TV. Yeah. But anyway, they got the, they got acquired by BP in a merger. That makes sense. So BP got a hold of that plant in 99 when, when the merger happened. Um, so this plant was 71 years old at the time of the explosion. So it was an older plant. And it was starting to show its age. Um, a consulting firm called... Yeah, I work at a uh, 35-year-old plant. And it shows its age all the time. It shows its age all yes. the time, so this is twice as old. Yeah. <laughs> um, a consulting firm called Telos had examined the refinery and released a report in January of 2005, like so just a couple months before this disaster, citing multiple safety issues like broken alarms, piece of concrete falling from the ceiling, bolts falling... Um, and workers being overcome by fumes. Just minor stuff. You know, little, yeah, little, little things. things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously... Who, this... who doesn't want to be in a building where a, a brick could potentially fall on your head? <laughs> right? That so, sounds safe. Yeah. Clearly this didn't bode well for this plant. Um, and most ominously, one of the authors of um, the report that Talos put out stated, quote, we, we have never seen a site where the notion, I could die today, was so real. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Isn't that, that uh, quite a quote? Well, working in a plant. Mm-hmm. If that Not was, an oil refining plant, no, just to but be clear, still, but still a factory plant. Yes, uh, there's heavy equipment, heavy machinery. Mm-hmm. You, you can get hurt where I work. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, if if that was like the attitude, like oh I could die today, <laughs> I would have been gone a long fucking time ago. Well, I mean these were the safety <laughs> consultants, but still, yeah. you gotta figure the employees were feeling that too. Well, obviously they were. They were quoting them. They were just like, <laughs> oh, I'm one of the t- 
consultant oh, I, said I, I, I see. One of the consultants said, man, I've never felt so unsafe, basically. Yeah. So, but, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that that was, wow. That was probably the attitude of the workers as well. Yeah, but, well. but uh, I don't know. Anyway, I was going to say, this is outside of Houston. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of jobs available, but I'm going to guess that these were pretty high-paying jobs. I don't know. I didn't look into that. That would be my guess. Because of the, the type because of Because of the industry. Yeah, yeah. oil has a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. So, these were probably guys that were making $65,000, a year, which, that's, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so, okay. Now, here's the portion of our episode where Rachel tries to explain something very complex and scientific. Oh, science. Yes, that gonna, she doesn't know. Are you know going her. to disappoint Bill Nye? Uh, oh, I love Bill Nye, but yes, I'm going to disappoint him. And Neil deGrasse Tyson. Him. Yes. Okay. Also love him. Although, too, I'm I'll, pretty I'll dis- sure... I'll disappoint both of them as well. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson's specialty is not oil refining. It is not. Bill Nye might be He's a, a little, little bit closer. in the general yeah. Yeah, knowledge area, but... Um, uh, so yes, I will be explaining... Unless there's an oil refinery in space... Yeah. That's Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, forte. And I'm sure we'll get there someday. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Drilling for space. oil in like... Oh there's an God. asteroid coming in that, that, that's got oil on it. Yeah, right? <laughs> Let's go get it. Um, so I am specifically going to describe isomerization. <laughs> okay. So sit back and enjoy. <laughs> but it will be pretty I'm quick. I'm going to. <laughs> yes. Actually. So... I had no idea what oil refining was. <laughs> um, like, uh, even though my dad worked in oil testing for Coke, like as in the Coke brothers and Caleb Brett for years, and he still tests motor fuels. Like that's his job now. So my dad's been in this industry for years. Um, and I'm Decades. sure, yes. Yeah. 30 plus years um, for the most part. And he, uh, I'm sure he has described so many things to me that I've not retained or remembered. Um, so uh, I did what any sane, intelligent millennial would do and looked, um, Googled Reddit, explain like I'm five <laughs> for oil refining. And it helped. <laughs> Um, but well, oh, at least it did that. Yes, <laughs> but so did um, pop, uh, the Popular Mechanics article. So I mentioned Popular Mechanics. They had a good article on this, specifically this refinery explosion, as well as the process. So, um, so here, here's oil refining in a nutshell, right? So here's oil oil refinery uh-huh. as brought to you by by all bad things. <laughs> by Rachel from All Bad Things. So yeah, this is going to be fun. So oil, when it comes out of the ground, is dark and sticky and icky and not suitable for use in the way we use it, right? Um, So you can't like put, like drill, take oil from drilling and put it in your car. Like it has to be refined. And so what they do is they, the first thing they do is boil this crude oil boil the crude oil, and a process called fractal distillation. So the oil gets super hot, like around 720 degrees Fahrenheit, and the hot oil and its vapors enter a distillation column, like a 
column, I don't know, I'm just doing this giant hand motion that doesn't mean anything. The listeners can see exactly what you're doing. Of course they can. So as the vapors rise, they cool and condense on different trays at different levels within the tower, um, and that produces the basis of different products, like um, diesel, gas, kerosene, paraffin, like uh, multiple things that are made out of out of oil, um, and there are a lot hundreds, of probably thousands. Petroleum of, jelly. I was going to say probably thousands of things mm-hmm. that you would never know it are made from gas or mm-hmm. oil, rather oil specifically. Same thing with animals. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You never know it, but there's yeah. plenty of things that are. Mm-hmm. So each fuel that is made is made of a distinct chain of hydrocarbon molecules. Um, So whatever, just a bunch of molecules together, right? (laughs) In chains. And when you manipulate these chains of molecules, you can produce different petroleum products. So you can break these longer molecule chains into smaller ones using cracker, sorry, cracking units and cokers. Sure. That's what those things are called. Those that's machines I, are called. Sure. That's what I was going to say. Of course. You can combine shorter chains of molecules into longer ones, so the opposite of that, using alkylation units. And finally, you can rearrange the structure of the molecules using isomerization which is what they were doing here in this particular refinery. The end. <laughs> On Rachel's science talk. It, it makes me wish I had paid more attention in science class because science to me is really cool. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand it. I know. I, <laughs> I, just, I just don't. I'm with you. I feel I like it takes a it certain down. brain. I'm fascinated by it, but like, what I can't explain even... it. I I didn't take science. I only did I only did until my uh, science and math in New York uh-huh. State when I was growing up mm-hmm. back in the nineties. Oh boy! Um, Way you only back had to that. take yes, you only had to take two years of each. So mm. you got through your two years, and then all you did your junior and senior year were, were take electives during what would have been that time. Well, for science in homeschool, I recall. My dad and I reading through a book called um, Creationism versus Evolution. <laughs> and guess which side this book was siding on. I'm going to go with, if you're going to title the book that, I'm going to go with Creationism. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, and then I don't remember anything after that. And then in college, I took geology as an independent study course. Okay. <laughs> which means you just show up for the tests. And I did take biology and bio lab, which was the first time I ever did anything like that. Yeah, I did. In high school, I did earth science and then biology, and then then that was it. Okay. So we have about the same (laughs) level of science education. (laughs) That makes us completely unqualified to discuss oil refining. I watch, I used to anyway, when I had cable way back when, but I still do on YouTube. I watch a lot of videos on Discovery Channel, Mm -hmm. on History Channel, on... Pop All science sort of stuff. Yes. Yeah. I also, I'm like, I'm fascinated by Mythbusters. But does that make me a science person? No. <laughs> in, a, in a way, it kind of does. But it, it, but they explain it in a fun way. It, well, it's that they pop blow science. Shit up. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's that pop science sort of thing. And yeah. there is nothing wrong with that. No. There really isn't. No. You know, and it's thankfully, 
thankfully there are much smarter people doing a much better job than we could do at this point. <laughs> yes, than, than we are doing now. Yes. <laughs> Everyone has their talents and this just isn't ours. On to the next. This is also being brought to you again by a woman with paint all over her forehead. Yeah. Are, are you getting distracted by the paint on my forehead? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Take it off, then. I can't. Uh, Why not? Is I going to have to scratch your head? Oh, there we go. You can scratch There's it. one. <laughs> There's another. It's hard not to get paint all over yourself yeah. whilst painting. Oh, trust me, I, I painted for a mm, year and a half did. as a profession. Are you messing up my hair? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, shall we proceed from our name banter? We shall. We are talking about Texas City, Texas, are we not? Yes, we are. So, and specifically, the process of isomerization. And I know I'm pronouncing that right because I watched a video, which I'll mention. Okay. The process of isomerization and the cause of the explosion, in this case, go hand in hand. So I'm going to describe this all further in the course of events, like the refining process at this plant as well as what happened. It all plays a role. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that should be a lot of fun for everybody. (laughs) Um, So here's where I'm going to call out the CSB, the United States Chemical Safety Board, who put on YouTube a really great video with, like, little illustrations with arrows and stuff that made this whole thing visual and make more sense. So I'll be able to explain it better because I saw what they... um, presented there so i will try to my best to remember to link to that video on our um our social means so social means so this all started on the night of march 22nd 2005 so the night before the disaster or the explosion and things started off on the wrong foot pretty immediately so prior to starting up the machines at this plant to begin the isomerization refining process after two weeks of being offline. So these machines, this whole process, had not been going on for two weeks. So it was getting started up again. And there's a whole procedure for doing so. Just just like the Rolling Stones. If you start me up. Start me up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll never stop. I'll never stop. <laughs> Sorry. You know, sorry, did you ever... Sorry no. to the audience. No, I'm going to digress slightly. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself because it's getting uncomfortable. Why is it well, uncomfortable? Well, because it's about to Oh, about I to gotcha, happen. I gotcha. Um, you, you know what always got me about that song? They'll, they'll play it uncensored on radio, but they do say you'll make a dead man come. Do they really? They do. Oh, okay. I don't know if they can get away with it because they're well, like... They got away with it because nobody understands what the hell he's saying anyway. I, well, yeah, there's, it's Jagger. Nick, <laughs> speak English! I was going to say, there's a maybe one of the funniest scenes in movie history, in my opinion... Is Whoopi Goldberg. Is over what Mick Jagger is saying in a popular song. Is that from Jumpin' Jack Flash? Yes. You're thinking yes. Yes. That is an amazing movie, by the way. It, it's a really I good movie, that movie, and that scene is hysterical. It really is. <laughs> right. I was reading two lesbians. Yeah, Wait, dr- that's not lesbians, right. but... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, now back. Hashtag Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> what? Why Whoopi Goldberg? What did I say? Goldberg. Goldberg. Hashtag, Goldberg. Hashtag Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> so Whoopi Goldberg! 
Goldberg. <laughs> yes, that's even better. Wookie Goldberg. <laughs> Wookie Goldberg. So if we if we see that on Twitter tomorrow, we'll know where it's coming from. Wookie Goldberg. <laughs> yes. Oh man, this week and the beer are kicking in. Let's continue. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> Prior to starting up these machines, there was a pre-start safety review process that was supposed to take place to make sure... Oh, it's funny. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Nothing. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wookie <laughs> Goldberg. Yes. yes, I am. <laughs> Please continue. I will. I'm sorry. So, this pre-start safety review process was supposed to take place as a precaution before things got started up you have the giggles, don't you? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but Try number three. Okay. It was supposed to be signed off by refinery operators and safety managers, but none of that happened that night. So a pretty... Uh, a, a safety violation. Yes. Literally. A clear safety violation. Yes. But remember, I mean, there had been a firm that ran safety checks and we're like, yeah, yeah. things are pretty bad here. Yeah. So, I mean, now that was more environmental, but clearly there were some issues with just following procedures too. So like yes. workplace, um, again, something I know very much about. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Because in factories and stuff, safety, OSHA, um, uh, if like your plant has to deal with FDA regulations, like stuff like that mm-hmm. is, it's everything. It's all procedure. It's all, you know, what gets done when and who signs off on it. So anyway, that was an issue. And no one went through that that uh, startup review process. Mm-hmm. So um, so I'm going to guess something happened during that period of time well, that nobody caught when they were supposed to catch it. Well, the night lead operator okayed the beginning of the refining process. So he's like, sure, start it up even before, you know, he or she, before running. I don't have the signatures, whatever. Just, uh, yeah. just get, it, get it running. So refinery workers started up the isomerization unit, also called the isom unit, um, which allowed the, to note, highly flammable hydrocarbons to enter what's, enter what's called a splitter tower. Now, a splitter tower, especially, well, so in this case, it was a tall cylindrical tower that is very tall, as in like 170 feet tall, mm-hmm. enormous, you know, like the smokestack type I, things that you see in refinery. I was going to say, everybody's seen yeah. one probably at least once. Right? They're yeah. All over, they're all over uh, North they, America. They sure are. They sure are. Um, the tower itself is really only supposed so so um, liquid goes into this tower like the 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 liquid that's being refined the oil that's being refined um, and it's uh, it's the tower is only ever supposed to be filled up like at absolute most nine feet of liquid so it's a huge huge tower but it's really only meant well. I'm here. <laughs> I mean, it's massively tall. It's meant to vaporize the rest of the stuff that's coming right, out. Right, right. So, so it's not. It's not so meant it's, to hold. Yeah, it yeah. can't vaporize if it's full of liquid. Yeah. So yeah. So and now nine feet is like the and, and, and that's the shit that winds up in the atmosphere. I mean, well, yeah, it, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 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 nine feet was like the absolute maximum it was supposed to have. Um, although safety or standard procedure was really that it was only supposed to be like half that, like four and a half ish feet. Um, although six feet was more common. 
Um, like nine feet was like, oh, okay, let's you know, take a look at this. You know, right. When they're, when they're getting around there, it's just right. like, okay, not, right. not, and, and not, it panic, not panic time, but concern. And, and it wasn't uncommon for them to let it get pretty close to nine sure. feet. So, um, although most of the time it was, like I said, more like six yeah. feet. Again, this is a company that's big on safety, apparently. Mm. That's something interesting. We are talking about BP, and we will discuss Deepwater Horizon. I was going to say, they, they've been involved in a lot of stuff in this, oh, yes. in this century. Oh, yes. So, uh, the t- if the tank got filled to 10 feet, that tri- there was a level indicator that would trigger an alarm. To be like, okay, well, you're gone. you've gone past that 9 feet. We're now up to 10 that's feet. The, that's take the concern alarm. Like, yes. Okay, let's take a look at this. Yeah. It's only at 10 feet. We can solve this problem. Yeah, exactly. Before it gets any bigger. Right. But they're they're um, notified sure. that, look, things are starting to get a little dicey the way that it's not supposed to. And this alarm did go off. So the, the level of the tank reached that 10 feet. So it went up a little bit. The alarm did go off. Um, and there was a second alarm, a redundant alarm, like to be like, oh, no, seriously, like we really are going past this tent. Now that alarm failed. So one, only one alarm went off. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that nobody tested that one. Oh, well, so that's, we'll get into that (laughs) shot. (laughs) Um, uh, sorry, I have to apologize to everybody. So my printer wouldn't print this damn... I'm so much better on paper, and I'm having a hard time, like, following my sight line on the laptop. Anyway, sorry. Behind-the-scenes stuff you didn't... Nobody gave a shit about, but it threw me off tonight. Anyway. I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. So... Remember my font? Yes, you're trying... <laughs> your font that kept changing. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, so... The first alarm went off. The fail-safe alarm, the backup alarm, did not. Um, Around 3.30 a.m., the workers stopped the feed to the tower. So nothing was going into the tower. The indicator showed that the liquid had reached about 10 feet. But the indicator was faulty. The liquid had actually reached about 13 feet. So it had already gone past by several feet of that 10-foot danger mark. It went past concern and into, oh, shit. Like, ooh, uh-oh. But they didn't know because this, so there was a yeah, faulty alarm no and now a faulty indicator. Yeah. So let's keep going. Uh, so everything talk, stopped. Talk about a nice combination. Right. So everything has stopped. No more liquid is going into this tower. It stopped at the 13 feet. They think it's more like 10, but it stopped. Um, the day supervisor came in late and didn't have the proper handoff from the night shift. So there was just a general lack of awareness about what had transpired the about the tank filling. On. Yeah, so this day supervisor didn't know that they had stopped because the tank had, like, hit that 10-foot mark, to their knowledge. There was a meeting on the morning. So now we're talking about the morning of March 23rd. And the overfilling of the tank was discussed with another day supervisor. So there was at least two day supervisors. Um, and the day su- this day supervisor was told, don't start things back up because, you know, we've hit this 10-foot mark. Something's amiss. We need to figure it out. But this day supervisor in the meeting didn't tell the day supervisor who was late. 
And uh, so this, the late day supervisor went ahead and started up the process again around 930. I knew that's exactly where it was going. Miscommunication, yeah. So the circulation process, so the startup process was reinitiated. The circulation process where the tower gets involved um, initiated around 950, like so like 20 minutes later. This fed even more liquid into the tower, which, of course, was already filled up past safe levels. Now, there should have also been liquid coming out of the bottom of the tower. So the, I, there, there was like a, I, a, a um, liquid coming out from the bottom just as because sure. you can't just keep feeding liquid in and nothing come out. Or, yeah, the levels I, are going to rise. So it was supposed to be like again, an in and out sort of thing. I, I do not work at an oil refinery, mm-hmm. but I understand like the – I comprehend. Yeah, with the machinery and mm-hmm. everything, yeah. So, um, but unfortunately, that was not happening. Um, the valve that controlled the flow out of the tower was closed, which was not supposed to be the case. No. Procedures dictated it should have been opened, and it had not been. So, another procedural failing. And the level just kept going <coughs> yeah. up and up. Oh, and we'll up. hear about that. So, Jesus. around 10 a.m., workers started the furnace that <laughs> heated the liquid going into the tank. This is SOP. Mm-hmm. Totally normal. It's supposed to happen. But what's not SOP is what's going on they didn't in the background. They did know that the tank was overfull, and it had been at 13 feet, but clearly it's beyond that now. So overfull that at this point it had risen up to an estimated 67 feet. Shit. When it should have been down at nine at the most. The faulty indicator was still telling them that the liquid was around 10 feet and oh falling. My God. That it was getting better, that everything was returning they back had to normal. No idea. No. Because the indicator was faulty. They don't have, there's not a spotter on the top there, of the freaking. Well, there can't be. It's all closed. Yeah. So the tank is there's nobody, okay. There's he nobody can't looking see. down to say, oh, hey, guys, it's at 67. There's no, like, no. backup for that. No. And, and I briefly read something like that there was supposed to be some sort of window thing that wasn't working. Or, anyway, there was so much faulty equipment, I decided apparently, not to. Apparently, there was a lot of shit that wasn't working. Yes, yes. So, um, by noon, the levels in the tank reached an estimated 98 feet. Oh, my God. So, this is 90 feet past what's safe. You know, considered safe. And it's more than half way to the top. Yes, 170 feet. Exactly. Around 1240 p.m., a high-pressure alarm went off for the tower. Makes sense. There's a lot of more liquid than it's supposed to be in there. And it probably didn't go off earlier because that was also broken and falling. <laughs> well, so the workers figured this was because of overheating in the bottom of the tower, which was actually relatively an, a common problem. Um, so they turned off some of the burners in the furnace. So just to make it less hot, the liquid going in to, uh, to alleviate the overheating. That, that was the idea. There were automatic pressure release valves to kind of like, okay, let's lower the pressure. Um, but they didn't release the way they were supposed to. So a manual pressure release valve was released by an operator. And at this point, the faulty level indicator was telling workers that the level was closer to like seven or eight feet. So no problem. It had fallen down. In reality, it had reached 158 oh feet. God. 12 feet to the top. Holy fucking When the pressure shit. release valve was engaged, 
gases from the tower were vented into what's called the blowdown drum, which releases the gases into the atmosphere. It's like a smokestack sort of a thing. Um, So essentially a massive amount of highly flammable gas was collected all around this area in the refinery. Around 1 p.m., operators released the valve that sent liquid from the bottom of the tank out to the tank and into the storage tank. So the the valve that should have been released in the first place to let stuff come out of the tank into the storage tank was finally released. Now, you'd think that that would help, right? Because, okay, now finally the tower, it was overfilling, so now the, the... the gas is leaving, or the oil is leaving, the liquid is leaving, so now we can start to bring down the level of the tower. Unfortunately... There was too much. Well, that's that's one thing, but also, it gets more complicated. The liquid at the bottom of the tank was now so hot that as it left yes. the tower, the pipes sort of crisscrossed, not, not like literally were um, in the same piping system, but were like overlaying each other kind mm. of. So it was so hot leaving the tank that the oil and the, the liquid that was going into the furnace got superheated and heated an additional 150 degrees over what it was supposed to before going into the furnace. So now super, super, super hot liquid was being pumped into this tower, which was not good. Um, So the liquid in the tower by 1.05 p.m. was boiling, which made it expand. And at 1.10 p.m., the inevitable happened, and the tower began overflowing. Now, the tower didn't have, like, an open top. It had a pipe. Sure. That, 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 like, it came up from the top and then ran straight down. In case something like this happened. Like an overflow. And it's also where the gas had been escaping. So, um, the liquid built up immense pressure falling down... That because so much was getting pumped in and so much was overflowing out. Yeah, because they had these pumps set up for when it reaches 13, 14, 15 feet. Well, or less. Not when it's at the freaking top. It has at this it, point it, reached it, over 170 feet, yes. Yeah. So the liquid built up immense pressure in the piping and on the emergency release valves. So at four minutes later, 1.14 p.m., the release valves opened. It was like an automatic sort of release thing, sending the liquid flooding into the blowdown drum, which is where all that gas had escaped earlier. Some of the liquid overflowed from the drum into a process sewer. So now this is getting into underground, on the ground, and now the vapor also in the air, right? Um, Now, at this point, there should have been a high-level alarm in the blowdown drum that went off. But it failed. <laughs> so another alarm failure. But it failed could be the title of this podcast. <laughs> Basically, but it failed. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. Episode, I don't know, what are we on, 34? 35. 35. This is 35. Episode 35, but it failed. <laughs> but it failed. <laughs> yep. The blowdown drum filled quickly with the liquid from the tower And witnesses saw what looked like a geyser, estimated to have been 20 feet tall out of the top of this smoke or um, blowdown stack, um, and consisting of an estimated 7,600 gallons. Oh my 
of a highly flammable liquid and it erupted from the bloodhound stack. Hot. Yes, because it had been boiling, yes. That that alone will kill you, much less the flammable part. Right, just the heat from it. Yeah. So it erupted for about one minute. Oh my god. Obviously, this liquid spilled all over, created a huge, highly flammable vapor cloud surrounding this entire stack. So there was a matter of the actual liquid itself, which was highly flammable, but the vapor was also spilling and expanding and covered even more area than the liquid. And that stuff is just hanging out in the atmosphere. Yes, particles in the atmosphere. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Workers radioed the control room to report the spill. Obviously, like, this is not supposed to yeah, happen. Yeah, report, uh, we're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. I hope that's what they were. Well, one one person reported hearing someone over a handheld radio desperately yelling, what is this? Stop all hot work. Stop all hot work. Like, shit. Unfortunately for everyone. So, yes, the hot liquid is bad. The vapor cloud is bad. No one has been burned. But what is the problem here? Like, what's the danger of this situation? The main danger? An explosion. Okay. What do you need? Which is, which is going to take out pieces of the building, all kinds of stuff. Well, this is all outside for, oh, for reference. Saying? It's an open okay. it's outdoor refinery, this part of the plant. Uh, well, I was going to say uh, the, the, the main trigger to get that explosion going is, I'm going to guess, is oxygen. Oh, well, but you need a spark. You need a you need fire. You need ignition source. I, I don't right? know. Okay. What happens? Unfortunately for everyone, someone had left a diesel pickup truck idling about twenty five feet away from the blowdown drum. The huge vapor cloud reached the truck, and the hydrocarbon fumes were sucked into the truck's engine intake which made the diesel engine race. Like, rev. Yeah. So, nearby workers frantically tried to shut off the engine, but they couldn't get close enough because of the vapor. Like, they couldn't breathe, so they couldn't get close enough to turn off the the engine. The vapor cloud um, continued to expand, and at 1.20 p.m., the truck overheated and backfired. And the backfiring ignited the vapor cloud. Oh, my God. So explosions like this are essentially... It's like a bad science fiction film. Right? Explosions like... Or or a good one. (laughs) Well, yeah. There you go. Potentially a good one. Explosions like this are essentially two different and nearly simultaneous events. So first, the initial flash creates a vacuum as it consumes all available oxygen... And then the combustible materials explode into fire with a shockwave in front of it. So there was a shockwave involved in this explosion. These explosions at this refinery could be heard miles away. Oh, I'm sure. And the shockwave was so powerful it blew windows out of buildings up to a mile away. Uh, Yeah, I I completely believe that. So, two... It It was just a boom. Yeah. Two contracting trailers near the blowdown drum were destroyed or nearly destroyed and sent debris flying. Fifteen contract workers in and around the trailer were killed instantly. Oh, contract workers. I'm going to guess that's going to come into play later as well. Eh, 
Eh, kind of, sort of, not really. Okay. Um, and an additional 180 people were severely injured, burned, maimed, all sorts of things. One contractor across the street who, who like, could see what had been going on um, reported looking over, like, hearing the explosion and looking over to the ISOM unit where he had just seen workers, contract workers, on ladders working. And he said, quote, they were just gone. Like, they were just weren't there anymore. Yeah. Um, an estimated 200,000 square feet of the refinery was burned in the fire that ensued after the explosion itself, and millions of dollars of refinery equipment was damaged, obviously. And, obviously, the entire ISOM unit was severely damaged. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. This is the reason I... Like made a point about contract workers. Mm-hmm. It's because it doesn't fall under the guise <clears throat> of BP if they're contract workers. So that doesn't really come up. Yeah. For what it's worth, I mean. But in in this in the oil industry, because uh-huh. I've watched a lot of things about this, mm-hmm. a lot of times they use contract workers sure. because it doesn't fall under. No, the safety standards still remain the same. There's no excuse for that. That's that's still yes, under OSHA that and everything. But because those people are contract workers, not actual employees, it's not costing them anything. That's that's what I'm saying. Well, that's not the case here. No. Okay. Yeah, they paid out. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to it. But. Yeah, okay. Well, good because I I really did not expect that to yeah. be part of the uh, part of the end. Yeah. No. That I did not see anything that indicated that because they were contract workers and okay. somehow. Less costly. I don't know. Anyway, um, so after the explosion, obviously there was an emergency response, clearly. BP had its own fire brigade. brigade. So uh, that responded to the explosion immediately, as well as Texas City's emergency services. And eventually, 75 local, regional, and industrial emergency response units were at the site. Water cannons flung walls of water at the flames to put out the fire. Um... They contained the fire within an hour and really? had it out within two. So it, wow. it okay. didn't just burn and burn. They contained it pretty well. Um, news helicopters and life flights crowded the airspace overhead. And just 20 minutes after the explosion, the FAA had to declare the area a no-fly zone. Oh, no <laughs> shit. So, okay. um, so uh, filled with traffic. So the aftermath. BP and various authorities, commissions, committees investigated the explosion, including OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, obviously here in the States. So lots of people were all over this, understandably. Um, BP's own experts who investigated released two reports, one called the Mogford Report, which addressed the technical issues at play, and the Bonds Report, which addressed the organizational and management issues at play. So the Mockford report was released on December 9th, 2005, and it cited four critical technical factors that caused the explosion. One was the unintentional release of substance. So in other words, the overflow. Mm-hmm. That wasn't supposed to happen, clearly. Yeah, that's pretty unintentional. Two, the non-compliance to proper operating instructions and procedures. Three, work control policies. And four, the structure of the contractor trailers. And the design of the blowdown drum. So the trailers 
which, as I mentioned, were destroyed or nearly destroyed in the explosion, were temporary structures that had been set up too close to potentially dangerous sites. Sure. After the explosion, many refineries did respond by moving temporary buildings farther away from danger zones. So... The Bonds report, which was supposed to be an internal-only report for BP, um, was eventually released a couple years later in court proceedings, um, and they cited multiple management failures, unclear responsibilities within management, and poor plant management as contributing to the disaster. Uh, yes. Yes to all. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Let's check yes on all boxes. So the U.S. A- anytime you have any kind of incident like this at a plant, mm-hmm. it's a management problem. I mean, it is. Well, I mean, there are freak accidents and things. There are freak or, ones. Or um, employee errors. That's yeah. possible. But this was not the case here, no. obviously. So the U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board published a massive, I think it said it was like over 300 pages long, Um, report on March 20th, 2007, so like two years later. They found all organizational levels of BP contributed to the explosion. So specifically cited were cost cutting, lack of investment in plant infrastructure, lack of corporate oversight and safety, a lack of focus on process safety, inadequate operator training, lack of competent supervision, poor communication, outdated work procedures, lack of preventative maintenance, inoperative alarms, and outdated technologies. But you know what remained the same during all of that? Hmm. The CEO still got his bonus every year. (laughs) Probably, yes. Yep. Um, Jeez, I wonder what would become of BP just a few few years later. So they also found that OSHA failed to carry out proper inspections. I mean, this was all going on under OSHA's watch, you know. Um, After the explosion, OSHA itself fined BP $21 million, which, you know, is a little like closing the barn door after the horse got out or whatever, but... um, and that was for 301 violations, code violations, or OSHA requirement violations. This was the largest fine OSHA had ever levied at the time. Yeah, they, they should have gone a million dollars per uh, broken mm. rule. For 301 million? Yeah, that's, that's like a week in, well, the oil, in, the, in profit in the oil industry. Let's keep going. Uh, BP subsequently said they would eliminate the blowdown drum slash stack system in flammable service. So just like do away with that whole system, it being potentially dangerous. Um, but OSHA fined BP again in 2009 for not making their recommended safety improvements. This time the fine was $87 million. BP contested this fine and ended up agreeing to pay million, but contesting the balance. So, and BP was, of course, taken to court on both criminal and civil charges. Um, BP has stated that they've paid more than $1.5 billion to victims' compensation. Good. Yeah, I mean, that should be the least that they could do. Probably not enough. No. But but still. Well, nothing's enough. Yeah. Yeah. In the decade prior to this explosion... At least 64 energy workers and contractors were killed in workplace incidents. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in the decade following this incident, things did not really improve that much, um, either at this particular plant or at plants like it in general. 
Both the culture of oil refining companies and OSHA have been blamed for multiple failures and incidents in the year since the explosion. The Texas City plant itself has continued to see safety incidents. So there was a fireball explosion in the same year, in July 2005. A worker was injured. A month later, August 2005, workers had to evacuate after a valve that handled high-pressure gas and oil was damaged. In January 08, a 56-year-old... That that could have been a random thing. It it could have been, but... But still, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. In January 08, a 56-year-old supervisor died of a head injury sustained on the job. In September 2010, two workers received serious steam burns. Overall, at least 58 refinery workers and contractors died in the decade following the Texas City explosion, so not any significant difference <laughs> no. since before. Actually, worse. No. Only only 15 people died in this thing. No. You, you were saying 58 no. people died following this? No. So, the decade prior to this incident, 64 people died in workplace incidents oh, here. Were... The decade after, 58 people died, so it barely improved. Like, not statistically significant, basically. So, as for the plant itself, it was purchased from BP by Marathon Petroleum in 2012 for $2.5 billion. It's a discount. Unfortunately, after this acquisition, there was evidence of some relaxing of new regulations. Temporary structures, specifically tents and trailers, popped up back on the refinery grounds. One of the few remaining employees from the plant at who who was he was not in the explosion itself, but he was a plant worker at the time, and he's one of the few he could have been there. Yeah, he was yeah. one of the few remaining workers who stayed in in the industry and stayed in the area. This guy's name was Brian Ambrose. He was reprimanded by Marathon for suggesting things like um, maybe you shouldn't put these temporary structures here. Um, Because Marathon was like, no, BP's culture before the explosion was entirely to blame for the incident. Ambrose, for his part, tells his team, quote, It can happen like that. We don't make ice cream. Everything we work around will kill you. Could kill you. That's what he said. I'm yeah. saying his, I'm, it's a direct quote. I'm yeah. just directly quoting him. God. And that was the story of the Texas City oil refinery explosion. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it'll See, keep happening. Well, I mean, the, the reason I somewhat feel safe at work, mm-hmm. because just odd shit can happen you never know sure any anytime you're talking about machinery but, and um i see the safety guys around mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. whether they're actually doing their job or not right. i honestly don't know because right. I, don't, I don't see them doing their job right. i just see them around right so they could be dicking off for, mm-hmm. for as much as i know but uh but yeah that that story like hits like because you me. work in a plant, yeah, 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 and um, there was there was a, a lady. Did she die or did she just get really badly? She got badly burned. Yeah, and that was partly her fault because she didn't have her safety gear on. Mm. But still, but shit like that can happen. And that, hazards, that was that was a yeah. steam burn, by the way. Mm. Ugh. Um, Ugh. Which, as far as I know, are like some of the worst. Like Come when your skin boiled off. Ugh. Well, when we're. Um, 
when we wash our mixer mm-hmm. that holds, I think, like eight tons, mm-hmm. you put a you put a ball on top of the lid, okay. a spray ball. Oh, okay. Uh huh. And you turn that faucet on as hot as it'll go to clean it. Uh huh. Because it has to be right. You know, so the hotter it is, the cleaner it'll right. be. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the the water. Uh, temperature where we work can right. reach up to 325 degrees. Yep. So you've got to go in like that for like seven or eight minutes, which is how long you're supposed to clean it. But you have to remember when you're taking it off, don't look down because all that steam. fucking steam mm-hmm. is coming up. And could burn your face. Oh, it will melt your face pretty much off. Because of the sheer amount of it. Yes. I mean, we've probably all gotten steam burns like just yeah, in the kitchen. A, yeah. Or, Take, I mean, very, very mild. Oh, but. I forgot the, to vent the microwave dinner. And right, open yes, it and like, yes. Oh, fuck, my uh-huh. pinky. Yeah, but no, exactly. This is, uh, no. When you're taking that spray ball off, you have your head completely away. Right. And you're, you're taking it off with your, with... A glove. T- a, a thick rubber glove yes. that... Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, but some, but somebody just... Not paying attention or whatever, one day could just be like, oh, I'm like yeah, a, just like accident. Accidents happen in yes. those types of places, and, and all nobody the can time. be expected to be perfect. And that's yeah. why, like, even really adhering to safety rules is still not a guarantee of complete safety because people will always fuck up. That's just how it goes. <clears throat> but obviously, in this case, the problem was these safety rules were not being enforced. OSHA was looking the other way. Yeah, because they were getting paid to. Well, that's not... I didn't see any specific evidence of that. There there was... But but, uh, even beyond that, they were saying that... Like, something I read was that this particular type of um, inspection was highly specialized. So there was... um, I don't don't doubt that. But there was was speculation that... um, because of that, that even some of the OSHA inspectors didn't know what they were looking for. So not not that they necessarily looked up. Them. It, it is. I'm not fine. saying yeah. it's not. I'm just saying <clears throat> it's a very different thing to say someone was bribed than it is to say someone didn't know what they were looking for. Uh, yes, it, it is. But like, and that it was just a failure of the I'm gonna organization. Guess both. I mean, why can't it be both? I don't so, know. I'm just uncomfortable, like blatantly accusing a government organization of accepting bribes from. I'm not. The oil industry. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I'm, I'm not. I'm not Fair uncomfortable enough. saying that in the okay. least. Okay. I'm just saying that that I'm not going to agree and write okay. automatically and react that way. But. Uh, it's well, uh, not in defense of them, but you know, to to give them an honest. You know, shake. Yeah, maybe they didn't receive a bribe, and, and I'm I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, anyway, but um. So yeah, that was the, yeah, the and, one of the Texas City disasters. We'll cover the and, other one another day, and, Quincy. And, I promise. And one of the many BP disasters that yep. have just happened. Well, they have they've had three just this century, correct? Wait, what's the third? I know Deepwater Horizon. Deep Water Horizon, and then I thought. Um, I thought in early 2001 they had an oil spill. I don't recall it, but I mean, I was pretty young then, so I'm not sure. I think they did. I don't recall. But anyway. Anyway, BP is just a company that's just known for greatness. I I don't know about (laughs) you, but I I specifically, after Deepwater Horizon, I 
I can count on one hand the number of times I've gotten gas at a BP station. I mean, they're probably all equally they're as bad. All, it doesn't yes. matter. But I have purposefully avoided BP yeah. stations. It's, no, no. It's, you can't cut your nose to spite your face. I mean, you, you've got to get gas. Well, yeah, but there's <laughs> lots of options. Yes. So but that's all, what I do. But they're all dirty. I know. It's just those pictures of those poor pelicans. Yes, that's just, yes. Dramatic pictures, but anyway. That's for another day. <laughs> yeah, that, that is another, that's a, oh, a yes. huge we will disaster. Be, I keep saying we'll be covering all these big disasters. We'll be the covering reason, them all. Covering them all. Because we'll be doing <laughs> we'll this podcast. <laughs> we won't. Even if 10 people still listen, you yeah. can be one of those 10 yeah. that listens to our Exxon Valdez episode. There you go. Mm-hmm. Whenever that happens. It will happen, I promise. It's just that lately... Like, I started the research for this one, like, two days ago, and it's now Saturday, and this episode's coming out on Monday, so I've just been, I don't know. But I think next week is our, we might have something special. Yes. So, coming out. Yes. If not, I apologize, but it will be soon. And if not, just keep listening. Yes. All right. Yes. That's it. It is. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.